Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome Welcome to to the the Thinking Practitioner. This episode is sponsored by our wonderful friends at Handspring Publishing. Their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional-level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness. And Handspring's Move to Learn webinars are free 45-minute broadcasts featuring their authors, including one with Till. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com to check those out. And be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a discount. Thanks again, Handspring. And this is Whitney Lowe, and welcome to The Thinking Practitioner. Till is off this week, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Matt Gavsey. And we're going to have an interesting conversation on working in integrated healthcare environments. So, Matt, welcome to The Thinking Practitioner. Thanks, Whit. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Matt, if you will, take a few moments and, and let our listeners know a little bit about your background. Uh, we've known each other for, I was trying to count back the number of years. It's been probably too many to count now, but uh, quite a while. But uh, <laughs> tell everybody a little bit about your backgrounds and, and what you're doing in, in the massage world now. Absolutely. So um, I was originally uh, a massage therapist, still am, but I've been doing that since 1994 when I got my board certification and um, did the typical stuff, opened my own practice and everything else. And um, in 2004, I uh, put myself through physical therapist assistant school and I've been working um, as a PTA since then, Uh, still have my private practice, but a little bit more focused on um, the physical therapy world learning a lot, doing a lot of work in uh, subacute long-term care settings, as well as currently I'm in uh, an outpatient orthopedic setting. So it's really great that I have a boss who um, embraces uh, the backgrounds that I have, the varied backgrounds in terms of working, doing massage therapy and doing physical therapy as well. Um, Currently, I am working on... uh, uh, new continuing education classes. I have one out now, um, orthopedic procedures and post-surgical precautions. And um, been traveling around a little bit with that. And currently I'm working on putting together a class for um, what I would call rigid taping techniques. So right now the big thing is uh, using kinesio tape or kinesiology tape. But I believe that there still is a place um, in the physical therapy and massage therapy world for uh, what might be termed like McConnell taping or mulligan taping techniques where you're using uh, more rigid taping like a Luco tape type of of product to be able to um, stabilize joints better. So I'm putting the finishing touches on that and I have a few other classes that I'm uh, having the works as well. Great. I want to dive into a number of those things that you mentioned there, but let me sort of sort of go back to some of the beginning and earlier parts there. What sort of drove you to want to explore going to PTA school after you were already a massage therapist? Were you sort of looking for something else to do or wanting to enhance what you were doing in your massage career? What, what sort of drove that decision? I, I believe what really it was, was for me in my practice at the time, I was noticing that massage where I was and doing what I was doing was kind of unstable. You know, lots of different things going on in the economy at the time. 
And what I was really doing is as much as massage therapy is healthcare, you know, I think if people had the choice between a massage and paying their mortgage or paying some of their bills, that massage would take a, a back seat to it. So I, I wanted to find something that was a little bit more stable. Um, and I found that I thought being a physical therapist or a physical therapist assistant was actually much more in line with the massage therapy work that I was doing at the time. I was, you know, the orthopedic massage that, that you know, I was lucky enough to work with you on, um, sports massage, some pain management stuff. So it, it really seemed to be a much more logical extension for me at the time of uh, what I was doing. So, and that's really where it went. Yeah. So tell me like with your current work environment, what in sort of like a, a day in the life sort of thing. Now, when you do clinical work, are you working specifically as a physical therapist assistant who does massage? Or are you specifically working as a massage therapist who also does PTA work or do you blend them together? How does that work in your, in your work environment? Well, first of all, and if you will tell me about your work environment, like where are you uh, actually doing this stuff now? I, I work at a facility in Teaneck, New Jersey called uh, Churchill Orthopedic Rehabilitation. Um, it's a, it's a uh, sole practitioner owned um, practice. So it's not associated with uh, a corporate entity. Um, around here, there's a number of corporate entities like IV physical therapy or sports med or sports care that are much more corporate owned and um, much more numbers driven. So it's, it's more about being a high volume type of facility. And the environment I'm in is, is really wonderful. It's, um, we are out of network. So we don't have to see as many patients. So rather than in a typical high volume type of facility, we'll see, you know, they'll see four patients an hour, much like when you go to your doctor's office. Um, here we book to an hour with a break, you know, so I might see a patient at 9am and then 930. And then I have a built in break into my schedule at 10 o'clock mm -hmm. gives me time to really um, get to know my patients gives me time to build relationships with patients, which I think is really at the forefront of where medicine should be mm -hmm. in building relationships with people and not just looking at them as a diagnosis or a body part. Um, so, you know, I think that that's really good. And I get to do a lot of hands-on because I'm not having to see so many patients in a day. And um, so I, I'm a physical therapist assistant there whose boss enjoys the fact that he has the ability to look at the body with a different set of eyes. So typically a physical therapist will look at the body with what I term um, looking at it from a, a mechanical problem uh, or a, a mechanical derangement issue. Whereas we as massage therapists look at it, I think from a soft tissue perspective first. So um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a boss who allows me to use my other set of eyes, as, as you might put it, to be able to look at the body and say, you know what, maybe it's not just a mechanical derangement, or maybe this is not a mechanical derangement at all. And it's really more of a soft tissue problem. And uh, he allows me to explore that world and uh, try to help my patients the best I can. So in, in the work that you do, when you're seeing a patient, are you 
you said you're doing some type of soft tissue work. I'm curious about this because I heard this comment on another podcast a, a week or two ago, and this was similar to my experience of having worked in a couple of different physical therapy clinics in the past. Are you doing the type of massage work that a massage therapist would be familiar with when you do soft tissue work, or is it more uh, like, you know, patient fully clothed, just a few minutes of doing some things, or are you doing like regular type of massage treatment techniques that most of uh, massage therapists would recognize? I'm using a lot of the techniques that uh, we as massage therapists are familiar with, but I'm not doing it in that massage environment where um, the patient is on a table, you know, undressed to a level that they're comfortable with and then under a sheet, they're, they're clothed. You know, I may be able to expose a body part um, in terms of lifting a shirt, um, rolling up a pant leg or if the patient's wearing shorts, but it's, it's a much more physical therapy, clinical environment than it is a massage therapy environment. Yeah. Do you think that that has any, um, you know, impact on the outcomes that you get with the people that you're working with? Like, for example, that you could do something different uh, with them. Uh, and again, and this will be individual by each particular patient I recognize that you're working with. But as a general rule, do you think that it would make differences if you were spending more time with them in a traditional type of massage environment with the soft tissue work that you do? Or does that feel like it's, um, you know, getting the kind of results that are ideal in both those kind of situations? You know, I think you're right in that it depends upon the patient. I mean, there are definitely days and times when I wish I had more uh, time to be able to really put my hands on somebody and really let them do some exploring and, and see what's going on. Um, so I don't get to spend as much time doing that. And as we know, you know, when there's a soft tissue issue someplace, it's very likely that it can be coming from somewhere else. So that I have to spend, I don't have the time to always explore that. So I have to spread that out over a number of uh, sessions with a patient, but yeah. there are definitely times when, you know, some really good targeted massage therapy techniques that physical therapists don't know can definitely start the process and um, move things along quicker. There's yeah. no question about that. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I felt in working in that environment was a, a lot of what, uh, similar to what you were saying there, that in, in many instances, there were times where I felt like, you know, I really feel like I could get more done if I could do more comprehensive soft tissue massage work like I was trained in doing with this particular patient. And then on the flip side of that is the recognition that this is a person who's getting soft tissue treatment who never would have gotten it before. And their introduction into that in that particular environment, along with the other things that they're doing, is a significant aspect of, of moving forward with their, their progress. So uh, th there's pros and cons, I think, to, to any of those kinds of situations. But I do think uh, introducing it in that kind of environment can really be helpful for so many cases. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the physical therapists, or at least the schools that are around here in the East Coast, the therapists that I've talked to say that they may get eight hours of massage, maybe in their entire educational career. And then usually they're given a caveat of don't do too much manual or too much massage therapy, because that's why, you know, that then your patient's going to expect and want that every time you come, they come in. Mm -hmm. 
And my attitude is, well, if it's appropriate, why wouldn't I be doing it? Yeah. So it's it's a very interesting kind of concept along the training because then I had, you know, I was really surprised when I learned that as well many years ago about how little, uh, what a small quantity and amount of training that many of the individuals have in, in soft tissue manipulation in that particular area. Their training focuses on lots of other things associated with the rehab environment. But uh, it's, it's something that I think we have to remember as we're trying to break down some of these silos and communicate with other health professionals that um, there's differences there. Absolutely, there are. And, you know, for me, the... For me, the, the, the number one reason that I think people go to physical therapy or, or a good part of that is that they do want that hands-on, they want that hands-on experience with their therapist. They, they want to be touched. I mean, we as massage therapists know that the oldest form of therapy is touch. And I sometimes think that other healthcare practitioners have, have forgotten that. I mean, I remember being a kid and falling down and scraping my knee off of a bike and then you run home, you know, and mom or dad is there to um, clean up your, your scrapes and your bruises a little bit. And they give you a hug and a kiss and everything suddenly seems great. And you're ready to go out and conquer the world again with your friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we as massage therapists, we remember, but I think the other healthcare practitioners have, have forgotten that. So, um, I have found that a large portion of why people come into physical therapy is for that touch. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm very fortunate that my boss allows me to explore that and use that. And we do get some very good results from doing the massage therapy there. Yeah. How is the, how is your work perceived by the other members of your healthcare team there? Are they all pretty supportive of what you're doing and the approaches that you're taking with those patients or, and do you all have a good sort of um, integrated networks team approach there? We do. We're, we're good. Um, they respect what I do. They respect the, the education that I have, the time in that I have doing massage. Um, they've seen me do some things and they've come up to me and said, Hey, that, that looked pretty cool. What was that that you were doing? So I do spend time, educating them on massage. And, you know, at the same time, I'll watch them as they're working with patients and seeing what techniques they're using for um, uh, manipulate, not manipulations, but um, mobilizations and things as such and different exercises. So it's my environment's a really nice integrative uh, environment to work in. It's, it's very hands-on. It's very open. Even the floor concept is an open concept. There's not separated rooms or, or tables that have a lot of um, the, the curtains that get drawn. So we get to see everything in an open pattern. So we get to watch the patients work. We get to see the other therapists work. And I, you know, I don't think that there isn't a day go by that I don't watch and learn from my colleagues. Yeah. Yeah, I was in a clinic that had a, a very similar type of, of environment like that. And I thought that was really fascinating of being able to see what other people were doing in those kinds of processes and, and for learning from each other. And as, as a matter of really breaking a lot of those silos down to really see like, how can what I'm doing better uh, support the work that they're doing? So I would assume, is this also true in your environment that, for example, you are often seeing the same patients at you know different stages for the different types of, of things that you're doing? 
Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Since I can't do an evaluation, um, the physical therapist will do the evaluations. And at some point in time, as their caseload gets, you know, filled up, they need to, um, they need to let go of those patients and give them over to me as an assistant, but they always have eyes on and notes are being written and we still do progress notes and reevaluations and, and everything else. So um, they definitely know what's going on with what I'm doing with their patients. And if I have questions and I'm saying, you know, I'm not quite seeing something, I might be missing something, you know, can you come back and take a look at the patient or can you put them on your schedule for this day and I'll see one of yours, you know, just so that we're, we're doing what's in the best interest of the patient and moving them forward so that they can get out of the clinic. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit to something that you were saying early on in your um, introduction too. And I know you and I have talked about this uh, quite a good bit that you're doing some courses now to um, introduce massage therapists more to the concepts of post-surgical rehabilitation and, and, you know, preparations for surgical procedures and things like that. Do you think it's important that massage therapists know and understand some of these surgical procedures more significantly? Because a lot of times we just sort of, that goes outside of our scope and attention when somebody starts talking about surgeries. But a lot of times it seems like since people are coming in, have, having had some of these procedures, it does seem like there could be some benefit in learning a little bit more about actually what is done during the procedure. Absolutely. Uh, what I find is that um, the patients have no idea what's, what's happened to them. You know, they go in for a procedure, a hip replacement or a rotator cuff surgery. They have no idea what's gone on underneath the skin. All they see is a, you know, is a scar and a bandaid or, you know, a bandage or whatever, but they know they're in a lot of pain and um, they, they're lost. And um, I think educating them is really important, but I think educating us as massage therapists, as we would like to um, continue to move the industry forward or become more mainstream with those other uh, complementary healthcare providers, I think it is important for us to know what is going on. Because I know a lot of massage therapists who want to see these types of patients, who do see these patients, but they have no idea of really what's gone on beneath the skin. They don't know why, okay, well, this person had a knee replacement, you know, why are they still swollen three months later? You know, in, in the physical therapy world, I would expect somebody's knee to still be swollen three, four months after a, a, a knee replacement or a, or a hip replacement or something. And, and to understand what's really happening underneath the skin that even, even in a hip replacement, if somebody's having an anterior approach to it, what we would call an anterior approach, even though the muscle may not be cut, they're using retractors and moving those, those tissues out of the way, the muscles out of the way so that they can get to the joint capsule and cut that away and, and then you know work on the bones and everything and, and do what they need to do. And that is still trauma. That's a lot of trauma to the, to the soft tissue that you know we as massage therapists, we can absolutely affect. No question about that. But by the same token, we need to know what that surgery was and you know, how the doctor wants us to be able to work with that patient so that we don't endanger their surgery mm -hmm. or possibly dislocate something or put the patient into, into more pain or even set them back because we can set somebody back if we're not careful in what we do as massage therapists. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. Cause you know, my experience in working with 
massage therapist mainly because of the things that are told to us in our entry-level training, you know, really sort of warning us away from getting involved with surgically, um, you know, surgical cases of any kind. What kinds of things can you tell the average massage therapist uh, in terms of, you know, greater awareness or how to develop a greater awareness of some of these kinds of procedures? And what, what are some of the big cautions that people would want to be careful for after, you know, seeing, seeing a client in a, in a post-surgical uh, case? I think the best thing that we can do is to reach out to, um, if the person was referred to us by a physical therapist, I think we should be reaching out to the physical therapist or we should be reaching out to the surgeons, the orthopedists, and really understanding what it is that they put on as precautions and protocols. So, so I know when we do somebody who has a, um, what would be called a posterior hip replacement, um, there are definitely things that we don't want the patient to do for the first number of months. And the doctor is the one who decides at what time those precautions will be lifted. But we definitely don't want the patient to be bending, um, you know, over to, to, to touch their toes or by the same token, you know, lifting their leg too high to put on their shoe. We don't want the, the patient to go pigeon toed or internally rotate that surgical hip. So we have to watch out how the person turns when they walk. We also don't want them crossing over their legs, um, even at the ankles or um, going into too far of adduction because those are positions in that approach that can um, cause the hip joint to dislocate, that new surgical hip to dislocate. So what does that mean for us as massage therapists? Well, we want to make sure that we get them on and off the table safely. You know, um, good log rolling technique works well with that type of, of patient. Um, we may not be able to place them on that surgical side yet. It, it just may be too, uh, too sensitive for them. You know, making sure that we are using bolsters properly and, and keeping their hips, you know, their knees apart. Um, we want to make sure that when we do our range of motion, that we don't bring the, the, the knee to the chest so far, you know, because clearly that would be breaking that 90 degree rule, you know, typically, okay, let's, let's give a good stretch in that hip, you know, we'll bring that knee to the chest and you can pop somebody's hip, you know, or if you're doing internal and external rotation of the hip, you know, as just your regular course of what you would do during a massage, we need to be more aware of the positions that we put our patients into, our clients into, and then understand, okay, does that make sense with what the patient is coming here for with their comorbidities, their surgeries and, and things such as that? Works the same way with a, with a shoulder. If somebody's had um, rotator cuff surgery, you know, the doctor may say, you know, don't, you know, no forward flexion above 90 degrees for a period of time or no external rotation past 30 degrees. And, you know, typically if you're going to pick up somebody's arm and lift it up over their head to maybe expose the triceps to work, you could very easily be um, violating those precautions and protocols that the doctor is setting forth. So we need to be able to adapt. We need to be able to overcome, but I think we also need to really educate ourselves on what those things are. Yeah. So, you know, I don't tend to see um, a lot of 
educational programs, either in our entry-level programs and, and in the CE world, uh, in our field, talking about this issue very much. And to me, this sounds pretty important for the people who are working with clients who may have had surgical procedure of knowing like how long after the surgery is some of this kind of stuff okay? Or, you know, like you mentioned, you know, knowing that you shouldn't engage in certain types of uh, even gentle range of motion activities within normal range, not trying to push it really far to the end of stretching something, but just certain movements shouldn't be done at a, at a particular point. It seems to me like th this is some pretty important information that we're missing in a lot of the educational programs that we might be um, needing to put in there. Would you say that there's any beneficial way that you know for massage therapists to learn more about this at the outset? Uh, from the outset, you know, it, it's hard. Um, yeah, because I don't know of personally, so I don't know if, you know, I, I can't say that there aren't any, but I don't know of any uh, programs specifically that talk about these things in their entry-level programs. Um, I don't even know how many other um, massage therapists have um, really taken the time to to study these types of things. I mean, I'm, I know that they're, they're out there. I know they're out there because they're doing some great work, but in terms of an entry level, I'm not sure about that. And I, I think more classes, more programs, I think, it, I think it's something that should be taught in an entry level program. Um, whether the school brings in somebody to, to do a program um, as, as like a, an adjunct, you know, one day, you know, hey, we're going to bring in this guy because he's got some really good information and, I, and we think that it's important to know as part of our orthopedic training or, um, you know, whatever programs they're, they're working with. So um, I would definitely like to see this out there more and more as, as this industry tries to move forwards. You know, I think we do need to up our education. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that the education level that um, a PTA gets you know, let alone a PT is, is definitely more in depth um, and more varied. Yeah. Definitely more varied than what a, a massage therapist guessed. Tell me about this. Cause I think a lot of our listeners may not be aware and I'm not even aware myself of what the educational requirements are for a PTA. And maybe also, can you explain a little bit? Cause I know there's a fair amount of confusion sometimes about the difference between a physical therapy assistant and a physical therapy aid and what kind of educational requirements are there for each one of those different positions? Yeah, that's a great question. So let's, I'll take us, I'll take that even a step back for a moment. So um, a, a registered physical therapist um, is typically currently the, all of the schools in the United States are working on DPTs, doctorates of physical therapy. They're three-year postgraduate programs. They are clinical doctorates. Um, so they're, the education level is very extensive and they get at least three or four um, affiliations and they try to put those affiliations into different environments, you know, subacute long-term care centers, pediatrics, outpatient orthopedics, um, acute care hospitals. So they try to give them a varied type of education. Um, a physical therapist assistant, at least in the state of New Jersey, where I am, is an associate's degree. So it is a two-year program. And um, 
we get a lot of the, the education that the physical therapists get. Um, we do have, you know, in-depth pathology classes. Um, we do learn about modalities, you know, um, e-stim, ultrasound, fluidotherapy, diathermy going way back. Um, so we do a lot of that. And we also get a lot of um, affiliations as well. You know, we probably get at least three affiliations um, in our education to try to give us as much hands-on in as many different environments as when we you can speak get. of affiliations, you're talking about like the sort of subspecialty areas that you were mentioning a moment ago of. Yeah. You actually go out, you actually go out into those environments. Yeah. Okay. You're actually going out into a hospital. Mm -hmm. You're actually going out into um, a subacute facility and you're actually doing hands-on, you know, physical therapy. You are working with the patients. You're working how to time management. You're working on your note writing skills, uh, all of those types of things. You know, that's, I guess the best term for it is on the job training, but still with the safety net of the school and the education behind it. Yeah. So um, not quite as intense, but it can be um, very uh, submersive is really, I think a good word, you know, puts you into the environment. And yeah. the good part is that it gives the physical therapist or the assistant an understanding of, is this the environment that I want to be working in? Mm -hmm. Um and then a PT aid. Well, let me also say that I know in some states, a physical therapist assistant um, is only just a certification program. So okay. it's not even an associate's program. So they have it set up with so many hours and each state's scope of practice is going to be different. So here in New Jersey, I have the ability to do everything that the physical therapist does. What I'm not allowed to do is I'm not allowed to do an evaluation, right? I'm not allowed to um, technically write a discharge or write certain evaluative statements on a discharge, although I can absolutely do a lot of information gathering, you know, whether there are special orthopedic tests, whether it is um, manual muscle testing, um, goniometry, range of motion, end fields, things like that. I have absolute purview to that. I can use all modalities, right? But I'm still supervised by the physical therapist because they are the ones who set out the plan of care. Okay. So I so can well, ask the therapist to make. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me, just a second. I don't yeah. want, didn't want to interrupt you, but I want to clarify too. As a physical therapist assistant, would you ever be in private practice by yourself without an association with a physical therapist, or are you always going to be associated with a, a physical therapist in some environment there? No, I must always be associated with a physical therapist because they must oversee my patients. They must oversee my caseload. As a matter of fact, they co-sign my notes. Mm -hmm. So I write my notes, they go back and they look at the notes and make sure that everything is proper. And then they co-sign them and sign off on them saying, okay, what I've done is, is proper and appropriate for this patient at this time in their, in their rehab cycle. Yeah. Is that structure of the system with physical therapist assistance consistent? I mean, do you know if that's also outside the U.S., you know, Canada, Australia, UK, Europe, is that the same sort of system that there are assistants working directly under the physiotherapist in those other countries as well? Or is that different? I, I have to be honest with you. I don't know if those other countries have assistance. Mm -hmm. I really, really don't know yeah. um, the educational systems and whether or not assistants are utilized uh, 
in other countries or whether they're just straight physiotherapists or registered. Yeah. Okay. And you were about to talk to, uh, about the physical therapy aid. What is yeah. the difference between the aid and the assistant? The aid is just um, a tech, a facilities assistant, you know, mm -hmm. so they're only allowed to technically um, set up equipment for somebody. So if, uh, you know, the part of the plan of care is that the patient is going to do biceps curls with five pounds for three sets of 10, you know, the, the aid is allowed to get the weights for the person, give them, but they're not allowed to give them any type of corrections at all. So their job is really supposed to be just about setting up equipment, um, taking care of, of um, the details, making sure equipment is cleaned, wiped down, um, making sure that equipment is turned on. They're not allowed to, to touch any of the settings. Um, in the state of New Jersey, technically uh, an aide is not even allowed to put on an ice pack or put on a hot pack. Uh -huh. the, the assistant or the registered has to do that because that is considered a skill because it's knowing where to be, where it's to be placed. It's knowing um, and checking for possible skin reactions afterwards, whether it's um, burns or, or, or frostbite too cold, you know, so it's their job is really to assist in setting up equipment um, and saying, okay, what's next. And then, moving the patient through their program, but it's still up to the assistants and the registers to have um, eyes on and hands on. So if I'm watching somebody and I see that they're not doing it properly, it's really incumbent upon me to go over and make the correction because that is according to scope of practice, that is part of the skill mm -hmm. in physical therapy, understanding yeah. mechanics and corrections that should be made to keep the patient safe. Yeah. So I'm curious to know too, with your experience, both working in this environment, also being trained as a physical therapist assistant and the years that you spent working um, in conjunction with them, has that changed the way you approach anything in your massage therapy work in terms of soft tissue work with either techniques, methods, or, or things and, and principles that you've been exposed to? Has that changed your work as, as a massage therapist at all? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, a, it's allowed me to marry the two worlds. So in my private practice, it allows me to look at the body differently. So I can say, well, okay, if it's not this, then what about this? So even though I'm not diagnosing a patient, I'm not allowed to do that as a massage therapist. I'm actually not even allowed to diagnose as a physical therapist assistant. But the knowledge that I, that I have allows me to definitely um, see the body differently. You know, so I can, I can look at it, it allows me to um, work and change my massage therapy plan of care on the fly, because I, if I can notice that something is not working or if I'm working on one body part and they're saying, hey, you know, last time when you did this, I noticed this. You know, I can kind of switch hats for a moment and say, okay, what are we looking at? But it also allows me, and I think the, the, the greatest benefit is that it allows me to really know if I can help this patient or if, I'm, or if what I'm doing as a massage therapist and what they need would be out of my scope of practice. And in that case, then I can say to the patient, okay, 
this is what I think I'm seeing, or this is what I am seeing. And you know what, I think you need to either go back to your doctor or, you know what, let's bring you into the physical therapy clinic and let's get a different set of eyes on here. Because what I think I'm seeing is not necessarily going to be helped by massage. I mean, I can, I can help definitely alleviate some of the issues, but some of these things that you're presenting with, I think are going to be outside of my scope. And I think I need to refer you out to somebody else. So I think it allows me to understand my scope of practice better, but I definitely have the ability to marry the two knowledges, the two mm-hmm. worlds together, as you like to put it. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think it helps my patients better. Yeah. I get a lot of questions from massage therapists, you know, looking to say, what's next in my career or like, I want to kind of expand what I'm doing past just the kind of work that I've been doing, you know, one-on-one with, with massage clients for a number of years. Should I go back to school and become a physical therapist? Should I become a chiropractor? Should I do this? Do you think there's a significant advantage both career-wise and professionally to expanding your scope and skills and maybe even uh, earning potential and that sort of thing for massage therapists to pursue something like physical therapist assistant training? I think it's also, I think that's a great question, but I also think it's, it's um, a question of what does that person really want to do? I mean, if they're feeling like they're stuck in massage and they, and they like, you know, I really like the idea of doing, you know, something more then I think exploring being a physical therapist assistant or physical therapist or a chiropractor is a good thing. But I also think that there's a lot of ability to take courses just in general and educate ourselves on some on things. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, to me, knowledge in and of itself is not bad and knowledge is always good. But I think it's how we apply that knowledge that can take us out of our scope. I mean, I know people who who love neurology stuff, you know, and they bring that knowledge into their massage work and they're fantastic at it. But they also know then, okay, if I'm seeing this, then this is outside of my scope and I really shouldn't be doing something with, you know, this person as a massage therapist, I should really be referring them out to to a neurologist or something. So do they need to go and become a physical therapist assistant or a physical therapist or a chiropractor? I don't know. I mean, if they're looking for a career change, yeah. The great part is that, you know, that massage and soft tissue knowledge will always be there because we are the soft tissue experts. Even the physical therapists that I talk to, my boss, especially, you know, people come in and, you know, say, you know, what's your boss's, you know, what's Steve's um, expertise? And I think his expertise is in shoulders. Um, and somebody else is really good in, in backs or the McKenzie technique. And somebody came in and said, looked at me and said, well, what's your specialty? And my boss from the office just yelled out soft tissue. <laughs> that's, that's what he does well. Yeah. So it, it was, it was a nice, um, acknowledgement from him that, uh, you know, there is a place for a massage therapist in this world, in his world to be able to do that type of work. But I think if somebody wants to become a physical therapist, absolutely go ahead. You know, that soft tissue knowledge is, is not going to go away. You'll always be able to use it. You'll always be able to apply it. Mm -hmm. 
Great. Well, I want to sort of ask you one last thing as we're wrapping up here too, if there's been any kind of real memorable cases where you saw the blending of those skills together really being particularly advantageous for you of anything that comes to mind that's like, you know, having both those skill sets was a really significant advantage in, in making good clinical change in, in any cases that come to mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As a, as a matter of fact, I've got one that I'm working with right now. So um, without being, you know, without divulging too much, um, an older gentleman in his 70s um, coming in with um, low back and gluteal pain. And he was working with a therapist for a number of months. I would, I would probably say a solid five or six months. And then, you know, the therapist decided to, you know, take another position someplace else. And this person got on my caseload. And, and then over time, I was able to look at, at things differently, definitely from a more soft tissue because he wasn't presenting with those classical mechanical derangement type of symptoms and the, the, the classical physical therapy approach wasn't working. So I said, all right, so let's start looking at this from a more soft tissue perspective. And I did, and I started working more on his hips and hamstring length and um, just soft tissue in general. And within, I would say about, you know, the patient comes three times a week. So I would say within a, the first two weeks, I could see some real changes. Posture was better. Walking was better. Um, patient was telling me that they were able to sit at their desk longer. And when they stood up, they weren't quite so um, stiff. Um, ability to do gardening better, you know, so I worked on their home exercise program and made sure that they were, uh, he was as compliant as possible. So yeah, that's, that's a nice case that's that stands out where going the traditional route just didn't work. And going with the soft tissue route, the massage therapy route, absolutely did. And even the supervising physical therapist looked at me and said, you know, that's, that was a really good catch to kind of change gears. And, yeah. and, and do that. So yeah. it was a nice feeling. Yeah, great. Well, Matt, thank you so much for delving into some of these topics with us here today. I think there's some uh, interesting insights that I think we can all develop from learning more about other professions and learning more about what other people do. And uh, I think we're, we're kind of at, a, at the stage of a, a bit of a paradigm shift of starting to break down some of those silos that have existed between these different professions. And I think seeing people like you doing crossover of working in both those fields is certainly advantageous. So um, thanks so much for sharing that with all of our listeners here today. It's been great talking with you about that. Um, I would like to also uh, say if you've got um, any particular ways that people can get a hold of you, find out more about the courses that you're doing and things like that, where can people learn more about, about you? Absolutely. Um, my email address is bodyworkingsmt at gmail. So it's B-O-D-Y-W-O-R-K-I-N-G-S and then M as in Mary, T as in Tom at gmail.com. Uh, my cell phone, you can always reach out, text me, call me is 201-410-7855. And I am currently working on um, my website. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's got a, a, pun, a bunch of my energy at the moment. So I'm trying to get that up 
and get my educational stuff up on there. All right. That sounds good. Well, thanks again so much for being with us here today, Matt. It's great talking with you about this. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. And I would like to thank all of our listeners for joining us here today and also to our sponsors for the podcast. Books of Discovery has been a part of massage therapy education for over 20 years, and thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. And in these trying times, this beloved publisher is dedicated to helping educators with online-friendly digital resources that make instruction easier and more effective in the classroom or virtually. And Books of Discovery likes to say, learning adventures start here. And they see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast. And they've been a proud sponsor of our work ever since the beginning. So we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. So do be sure to check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, physiology at booksofdiscovery.com where thinking practitioners and listeners can save 15% by entering thinking at checkout. So we would like to say thank you again to all of our sponsors and also to the listeners for taking some time to hang out with us here today. You can stop by our sites for show notes, transcripts, and any extras. You can find that on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com and also over on Till's site at advanced-trainings.com. If you have questions or things you'd like to hear us talk about, please email us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or you can look for us on social media. You can find Till at his name, at Till Luca, and also mine uh, at Whitney Lowe on social media as well. If you will, please take a few moments to rate us on Apple Podcasts as it does help other people find the show. And you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you happen to listen. And please do share the word and tell a friend. And thank you again for listening, and we'll see you again on the next one.